naked blonde walks into a bar with a poodle under one arm and a two-foot salami under the other. She lays the poodle on the table. Bartender says, I suppose you won't be needing a drink. Naked lady says, my pencil. God damn it! What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. Oh. What is this? What is that? What? What is that? What is that noise? What noise? Really, sir, there wasn't any noise. That noise? Was that the noise you were talking about? No, it wasn't. That was not the noise I was talking about. Now, I may not have caught you in the act this time, but you can bet I will. You make book on that, Missy. And you, I will not be made a fool of. Hey, it's Julian Douglas, better known as Mr. 80s, and I'm pretty excited to get back together again with my friend Jay Scott on the hook. And we're going to be discussing all things rock and roll, because what else would we be doing? But more importantly, we're going to be discussing a lot of the state of music, where things have been this past year, and where it's going. But more importantly, how excited we are that rock and roll is on its way back. So tune in. We're looking forward to it. What's going on, everybody? It is Jay Scott. Welcome back to another episode of The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're staying safe, staying healthy. Once again, we are part of the Pantheon network of music podcasts. Check out them at Twitter at Pantheon Pods and also Pantheon Podcasts. You can hear great podcasts such as my guys, Zeus and Tom from Shout Out Loudcast, Martin Popoff, the author, historian, rock author, historian, Carmen Apice, Vinny Apice are both on there. Uh, many more to choose from, just some, some really great 
uh, podcast, very diverse group of music podcasts. So whatever tickles your fancy, you can definitely find it uh, on Pantheon Pods. And also, too, while you're listening, subscribe to whatever platform you're getting your podcast at so you can hear all the latest and greatest Hook Rocks podcasts. And also write a review if you feel it's necessary. like to hear your feedback. Always like to hear your thoughts on the show. And as we continue providing music commentary, great interviews, I'd like to welcome in a guest here today that is from a great new band, well, new to me, and new to a lot of my listeners, new to a lot of folks. They just have an incredible new album that just was uh, in our top five at the end of of the first quarter for 2021. So, tremendous album. Like to welcome in from Glasgow, Mr. Scott Taylor from Mason Hill Band. What's going on, man? How are you? I am absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. And we made top five. That is actually so cool. That's so cool. Thank you so much. I'm glad. I'm glad the album's been enjoyed. <laughs> no, it, it's well deserved because it is just a, a an album that gets better with each listen it's just very well put together very well produced um you know i was listening to it again last night and like i just said you know it does it gets better with each listen so great job on the record thank you so much it just felt like after such a long journey a lot of pieces slowly fell together in the right place um, especially when looking at you know who worked on the albums like for instance Chris Sheldon on the mixing it, like at certain stages it's just taken like another kind of lift in quality and we've always just been me and the guys you know we're just we're just five guys from Glasgow kicking about you know no one in the music industry and our families none, none of that stuff just real original from the start and we've just tried to get what's been in our heads out there to the world and it's taken a long time but that's that's what this album is it's, it's unique in a lot of ways to other albums because it's such a vast amount of time in our lives we you know we're talking a third of our lives have kind of been spent making this album and and so you know not like a one year, a one year, two year sort of cycle that that we'll be going into, kind of. So it was, it's really nice in hindsight to have had this opportunity to work so long on our first one. No, definitely, man. I, you, you can tell there was, you know, very well thought out record, very well written record. Um, you know, I, I know there's a, a, a few people that post a lot of your music that are my followers, and being able to hear all the music put together like this album does it's uh it's a pretty it's just amazing it really is I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it um you know we do our quarterly top rated albums myself and Chris Corradetti who joins me every quarter right and we both had it in our top five and uh just a uh, great great <laughs> record uh, that's awesome I'll never get used to hearing that ever <laughs> no that's great well, we got lots to get to. So, but before we begin, we always start the same way every time we have a new guest, and yep. it is the essence of the show. It is the reason we're here, reason why I'm talking, and it's about the hook. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan, every rock music fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? What hooked me? I think. 
you know it's strange as well because uh, I mean I love I love the guy but I I don't really listen to him much anymore you know like musical taste changes but Jimi Hendrix I got a cassette maybe when I was twelve maybe, you know somewhere about that age a cassette of Jimmy the Jimi Hendrix experience and you know at that stage all I was comparing it to was pop music you know just the traditional whatever was famous at the time. And this was just so cool, you know. It was out there. It was it was just so experimental and kind of not messy, but you know, not not clean. And there was something about that that just kind of stuck out to me. I wanted to be a guitar player for like most of my teenage years. I was like dreaming of being a guitar player, not a singer. And that was like the reason why is because like I just looked up to these sort of guitar gods. Um, and then when you know I grew up a wee bit and realised I wasn't maybe a professional level guitar player, I almost stumbled into the singer role because there was no one else and I was the best out of the bad, if you know what I mean. And and then then it all kind of changed. Like looking at singers wise, I looked at everyone. Miles Kennedy at the time was a massive kind of push in the right direction for me to to try and bring melody into rock. But then I would also jump back to the eighties. You know I would look at bands that I love like Pink Floyd and Phil Collins and realize that you can you can put rock in pop and you can put pop in rock and you can make it work not every time but it can work and yeah so I've got a re- really weird kind of array of people that I look at as you were growing as an artist and as a singer you know you mentioned you know Phil Collins and you mentioned you know other singers as well. Miles Kennedy, who's just a monster on on vocals. You know what <laughs> yeah. what, what attracts you to a singer when you are you know looking for an influencer? You're looking to something to listen to. Versatility is something that I, I really look for. I really admire um, people that can th- th- so they can control every moment of a show. So that's that's something I try to do. I'm not perfect. So, you know, I'm still young. I'll get there. Um, but being able to control every aspect of a show, meaning from the quietest moment where you need to be the most delicate singer in the world, to when you're right going right hard through your you know your your top hits chorus, and being almost like this statue, this kind of structure on stage. So if you can like if you can find that strength, but also be able to show the vulnerability in your body and voice, that's what gets me. And I love that. And people like Miles Kennedy do do it absolutely perfectly. Um, the I can't, God, I can't remember his name, but the singer from Nothing More. He's another one that is actually insane. Uh, just being able to capture so many emotions with your voice, and that is something I look I look towards. It's really interesting because there's so many differences with delivery and the way they approach or way singers approach you know, phrasing of lyrics and, you know, believing in those lyrics. And that's another thing, too, a singer really has to do, which is believe in what they're saying. And when you're writing music, you know, where do you find your inspiration? In terms of writing music, was there a song that captured your imagination where, hey, I want to I write a song like this or I want to write music because it connects with me. It gives me a chance to kind of heal and, and have, you know, a type of of um, therapy that a lot of people say is that, is that like it for you? Yes, yes, very much. So no, I didn't mean it to happen that way, but 
like when I so when I was younger, the the song Blackbird by Alterbridge that got me, um, <clears throat> just caught me at a moment in time probably that stuck with me, and that was and I loved the the epicness of this, and it actually inspired one of our kind of biggest songs, which is called Where I Belong, which is the kind of the big long ballad at the end that you know starts from nothing and ends up this like massive kind of like piece, which was heavily inspired by. You know, as being teenagers, listening to our favourite bands, which was Alterbridge, Blackstone Cherry, Shinedown, Nickelback, you know, Foo Fighters, these kind of guys, and and that 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 really emulated into where I belong, which is a song to this day. We can go, oh sorry, we can go around the country and people will sing it and people will cry and people will come up to me and just tell me horrifically sad stories and how the power of music has helped them whether it be, you know, Where I Belong, our song or another song, I've just heard so many stories of where music's been able to help people under extremely horrible circumstances and it actually helps them. Like a song, you know, a song that like someone like me is just sitting in their room, just humming along, thinking, all right, that, that's, that sounds catchy, right? Okay, that sounds nice. But the, you, we don't under, I don't think we understand the power that... that this actually has on people's lives when they listen to it. I really don't. Well, it has a chance to speak for them too, right? I mean, there's people, the reason why people use a song to con- mm-hmm. communicate with people sometimes is because they haven't been able to find the words that they're trying to say. And a song, you know, captures that moment, captures those thoughts and is able to convey that to whoever they want to communicate with. So it's very powerful because there are people who can't articulate what they're feeling what emotion is going on. And a lot of people do turn to music. That's why music is so powerful. That's why there's such a connection to it is because of that very reason. Very well said. I don't think I could say that better. And that rings true, even for my life as well. Recently, I like recently there's a song that came out, um, you know, it's probably not the biggest known band in the world, but they're called While She Sleeps. Um, and they, they just brought out a song called Nervous. And that done exactly what you're just saying for me. It, it it's gave me some of the words that I was struggling to say. And yeah, what you just said there, that actually is probably one of the most perfect things I've heard said. So well done. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the album is Against the Wall. And, you know, I just, you know, threw a bunch of praise at you and the band at the beginning <laughs> of the interview and I know here we're in 2021 and there's a lot of great albums that are being released. And yeah. it's very easy for an album by a band like Mason Hill to not get noticed and to not, you know, get heard by a lot of people. And because there's so much, right? Everybody or a lot of people yeah. paused music in 2020. They had a lot of albums that they had that they decided to hold on to. So this year so far, we're four months into it, has just been an avalanche of great new music. And for for a band from Glasgow to come along and release an album that is right up there with the Smith Cotson album that just came out, or the Foo Fighters, or you know, the Greta Van Fleet or the Dirty Honeys or whoever, you know, Dead Daisies, all these great bands that are releasing new music, that to me is really impressive because, like I said, with the way the business is right now and being that you're overseas, everyone that I know that's listened to it here in America has just been totally into it. 
Uh, thank you again. Like thank you. It's um, it was a, it was a tough approach, and I think I think when we properly have time to reflect back on it, I think um, as as bad as COVID's been, it's really helped us in a way. I, I, and I don't know why. I just feel like we because of because of the world situations, we had to take a very pragmatic approach. And what we had to do in that regard is think, right, we or we can only do online. We can only advertise online. We are a band that's been going for seven years, relying on live shows and word of mouth for that entirety because we had no product for for people to buy if they were interested. So it was scary. It was scary, and that's why the management and you know the, the team kind of put our expectations down very low, saying, look, we'll do our best, but this is an independent release. All we can do is just try and gather the fan base as much as we can, try and seek out the, la- the lost Mason Hill fan that's maybe seen you four years ago and forgotten about you because you didn't have an album, and just see what can happen. And we, you know, we hired a digital kind of uh, marketing team to kind of try to get right into the social network side of things. The guys were incredible. Kept just kept a long list of demands of content from us to keep things going, to keep buzz going around. And, you know, with everyone just pulling out like 110% to try and just get every last copy done, we got number one in the rock album charts and number 19 in the album charts instead of what we predicted would be about 40th, 60th, somewhere around there. I've honestly, I can't thank the whole team enough for it. I don't, I don't think it makes sense. I don't really believe that it's happened. It doesn't really make sense, but it happened. So I'm just thanking every single kind of silent Mason Hill fan out there because they must be, they must be out there and we love them so much. Why did this album take so long to make? That's a very good question. I'll, I'll try and answer it as best as I can. So we started young, started early 20s, and it took us a couple of years first off to just find the members. You know, me and James, we'd been friends from school and we'd formed a band before that that we thought was going to be the band, um, and it wasn't, but it was uh, it was a very good try. So it kind of, it taught us what we needed to do. So we got the guys together and here we go, we start our journey. We're gigging over Scotland. We're playing to five people at a time. But out of those five people, we're maybe converting to fans. So, in, you know, percentage-wise, we're doing awesome. We're so happy with the kind of reception, so we keep practicing. You know, we get a management on board, um, all looking in the right direction. We're looking at label signings. We, we identify a label to go to. We go into that route. And... Just cut short a couple of months later due to very numerous reasons it all just kind of falls apart and puts us in an awful situation and we have to just start back from scratch we've lost everything we've made and we're sitting here maybe four years into being in a band Mason Hill and thinking right what do we do here we've been promising an album every year and it's never coming out what do we do so we kind of had the decision of we need to try and raise the funds for the album and which is what we much much which is what we've done. So we kind of set up a kind of whole kind of campaign around that that was going to last like you know a few months to try and kind of raise the funds to go into the studio, make this album. Finally, you know we can't tell you why it's all went wrong, but it's all went wrong. Can you please help us? Um, we were kind of a bit ashamed to do it. We don't like doing that sort of thing. It was something we never wanted to do, and it was something we probably will never do again. 
um, that we done it and we hit the crowdfunded target immediately. It was actually insane. We couldn't believe it. But they saved the band, these people, and that got us into, right, fine, we can do the album now. Let's get on to it. So we kind of had to write. We, at this point, we had the album. We weren't happy with it. We just went, it wasn't right yet. It wasn't good. It, I mean, I'm sure it was it, it was fine in hindsight, but it wasn't right for us. So we went into an, like a year of just taking off shows and we just wrote. We just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and changed every song, changed everything, the total rework of everything, and then started going into the studio to record it. And then that was it. Everything was looking good. And sadly, COVID hit and that delayed us a bit as well. Um, and then once we realised that COVID kind of wasn't going away in a timeline that we thought it would be originally, we were one of the naive people that thought this might have been a two, three month sort of event and then world's back to normal. After we realised that wasn't the case, we had to just kind of go for it. And that's why we just took the chance. Everyone that had supported us had waited way too long for it. So we weren't putting them off any longer. You know, people had, people had been married and had kids in the time it's taken us to do it. So that was that was it, and that's that's kind of the reason why it took so long. When you're you know recording this album, and like you just mentioned, COVID hits mm-hmm. right, and and you're kind of left scrambling. Yep. Like, what do we do? How do we approach this? Some bands yeah. went forward and started releasing music. You guys held on to it. What was the reason you guys paused the album into 2021? Yeah, the reason we paused the album is, first off, we've come the turn of that year, 2020, we weren't exactly completely happy with how I sounded on the album. So I was going to New York to record my vocals and get them all finalized. And that happened pretty much as COVID started. So that was our kind of first, that was like, right, we're going to be maybe a month behind now. Um, And I went over there and done that and didn't see any of America. It was a sad, sad, sad story. Um, and then came back. And re- the reason was, like as I said in a previous question, we were seven years of a live band, right? It was almost kind of reminiscent of the 80s. Like we, we went around and word of mouth is all that could get us there. So we thought that without being able to do a single show to promote this album, we wouldn't, it would do, it would do bad, basically. It would do really bad. And that was our thought process, that, that we've been known for our live shows. We're not known for our recordings. We're known for our live shows. We need to get a big, massive tour as this album's coming out and, hit and sell as many as we can on the road. Once we realized that wasn't going to happen, we just had to go for it and hope for the best. And I'm so glad we did. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, your the whole the whole 2020 and how people had to adapt and kind of scramble and reprocess things and, you know, kind of wait and sit on them. I mean, this is an album that you, like you said, seven years in the making, you're extremely proud of what's happening in the recording sessions. And now you've got to sit on it. What, what was that like? It was, um, it was a bit tough at first, but you know, you know, sometimes sometimes the, the world of the internet is good. And if you can see people in a worse situation than you, you, you just write, you think, right, Scott, shut, shut up, right? This could be a lot worse, all right? You've got, you've got an album you're happy with. When the world's ready for it, we'll be there. We'll just set our 
thumbs and just count ourselves happy that, you know, we've not lost loved ones in any of that and these sort of times. So it was really like a perspective thing. Once we've seen what some people in the world have been going through, like, what is our problems? You know what I mean? We're, we're a rock band. We're, we, we can wait. It's like, this is, the, the world doesn't need us moaning as well. Do you know what I mean? That was my, that was our kind of view. I mean, if you've waited this long, right? You know, what's another, you know, what's another year? <laughs> Like, exactly, you know, it's, our hearts just go out to so many people that have been through so many awful things. We we are just that thankful that we've we've got through it with our heads kind of down, and and we've just used the time well, you know. We've just we couldn't have our album come out, but we didn't just sit there doing nothing, you know. We we made some live kind of streams available. We pre-recorded like full gigs for people um, to do that sort of thing, and made brought out some covers, and you know, just kept busy and just were like thinking, right, let's, we we can give some sort of joy with music. We've got social medias. If people like it, if it's going to cheer them up after a bad day, let's get that out while we're still waiting for this album to go out on the road. And, you know, I mean, just, you know, pray it doesn't last forever. And when the world's there, we're ready. Boom. And I'm glad we've done that. Yeah. My next question is, during that time, right, are you writing mm. new music? Are you writing new songs? Yes. Yes. Um, we've, we're, God, we're... We're really see what we've known. This is coming, right? Me and James were kind of the primary songwriters uh, until we get into the studio, and then the guys all kind of jump in, and, and it just becomes a kind of big tanglement of all our ideas. And um, you know, me and James, we spoke about this. We've known this was coming. We've 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 known that up until now, we've had the pleasure of time to write songs, and moving forward, we're never going to have that that pleasure again unless we get massive. But until then, we are going to go to the sort of cycle that a lot of bands that most bands are in where they you know they have like a, maybe a two to three year sort of album career and tour career before you move on to your next project so we knew that we're right ahead into it and you know we've also we've been playing the same 12 songs for, for a long time so it's uh, it's good to it's good to be on new ideas and kind of see where our writing's kind of changing and you know what every idea I love more than the debut album I love it more I feel like Every song is better so far, and, and I'm loving the direction it's going. I honestly can't wait to release new music. It also it also has to be different in in a couple of things for you guys, right? The process is different. You've you've overcome seven years of making music, or, or seven years of playing clubs and live music, and and been able to put this album out and record this album. Now you have that as like your foundation, as your base. Now you're writing music for the follow-up, right? And now yep. you're a lot more confident in knowing that this can be done. Because I have to imagine when you're going through this process over the time it took, there has to be those moments like, we're never going to do this. Like, we keep saying we're going to do this, but it just there have to be moments where it seems farther away than it really is. Uh, totally. Like, totally. Like, so many moments. The worst moment was just before the the crowdfunding campaign. Uh, the band was just miserable. We were depressed. We were just ready to kick kick it in. To be honest, um, I can't really remember who got us out of that funk. But yeah, for at least for a month or so, that was it. It was the end, you know. And and it's, yeah, I guess in hindsight, you know, you're going to have those moments. Like, and I'm going to have them continuously. It's not like they're going to stop. I'm sure I'll have them moving forward. Um, 
and but we're, we're just so excited to do it. I mean, the, the hardest part of this next campaign for us personally is the pressure of doing better. That's that's like our kind of biggest. Like if we want to talk fear and stuff moving forward, the re, the fact that this debut album done a million times better than our expectations means that our next album has to do a million and one times better, you know? Um, so we have that pressure. But to be honest, as I was saying to James, I think this debut album, I don't think this is our strongest material. I really don't. I think it's the best of, of our kind of, like, we like to talk about it as like, this is, you want to hear what Mason Hill sounded like from the very start when they were playing to no one to just at the end when we were playing to a lot of people. That is this album. But this next one, this is us. This is us. Like we've had so much songwriting experience now. We we now have home setups where we just exchange ideas daily. I honestly can't see how it's not going to get better. But still, the pressure is still there. Hopefully, people agree when it when it comes down to this better. Well, they always say, right? You have your whole life to write your first album, and then yeah. you've got to follow it up. And the unique thing is, like you just said, some of these songs that are on this album were from the beginning of Mason Hill. And, you know, yeah. you, you play them out live, you build the synergy within the band, you know, you're still creating, but it's exciting because now you guys have been through the trenches and you still are, but you have gained all that experience and you've gained, you know, you know what your sound is, right? You're, it's hard. It's, it's difficult to write music when you're still formulating your own sound. Yeah, you're completely right. Um, and we, I, I feel like we have figured out our sound not very accidentally. I don't know how, but even even continuing on to like the new stuff, there's still like a, there's a sound that is. I mean, I suppose there's only so many ways you can go with my voice and James's guitar. You know, like they are we we have distinguishable vo- like voices and sounds that we use. Like the gears, some of the gear the guys use is very distinguishable, um, which we love. I feel like we've I feel like we've got so lucky. Honestly, we've just honestly stumbled stumbled away making a million mistakes in every part of the process that we could learning from it and then finally as you say like coming out of the trenches the other side and people actually like the like what we're doing so that we have that confidence now that you know as long as we don't push it too far um, and just kind of write what's in our in our kind of hearts then hopefully hopefully we all just enjoy the rides you know that's, I think that's where we are how has that creative process evolved? You know, you mentioned, you know, there's the primary writing partners, but now other members are getting involved. Um, how, was that easy for you guys to, to do, or was that difficult to give up some control? Um, it's, it's, to be honest, it's quite easy. We, like, me and Jay and the whole band, we're on a, we're on a wavelength of, it's not whoever, it's not whose idea makes it is the best idea. But it's literally it. And, you know, me and James, we throw away 90, 95% of our ideas. No one else ever hears them. You know what I mean? In the band, you know, everyone has wrong ideas. Everyone's had 100 wrong ideas in the album, but everyone's had right ideas as well. So it's like, yeah, it can be messy sometimes, but it's for the greater good. Uh, you, you know what I mean? It really is for the greater good. If you can get more people aligned into the song, it's a stronger song in my eyes. You know, it's just sometimes it's messy at the start, but that's where me and James have kind of came in. And it's not, 
but no, we're not meant to. It's just you know he's a guitar player that that can sing a little, and I'm a singer that can play a little guitar. So it, it just easily just to come up with initial things when you're just messing about. You know what I mean? Rather than sitting on the drums trying to construct a song, it's not the same. You know. You guys have announced dates on you know for a tour with Howlstar and Empire. You know, based uh, late summer, early fall, and you have to be excited to kind of finally get out and play this music. However, there is that element of unknown that still remains out there. What? Yeah. What do what you? What do you? In terms of you know this, you know, planning all this. How confident are you that you know the shows will happen in September and October? As of this minute, I think we're like 80% sure it's going to happen. I'm 100% sure it's going to happen, but it might have restrictions involved. But as far as, like, the mood in this country right now is good. Everything's reopening. Everything's kind of going well. They're doing their first trial shows and gigs, like, next month. Um as as long as we don't just see a dramatic downturn, I, I do see our shows happening. As I say, whether it's full capacity or not, I don't know. And God, what we do in that regard, because since some of the shows are sold out, I don't know. But <laughs> we'll deal with that when we come. But we're so looking forward to it. It's our biggest UK tour to the date. I think we're doing 24 shows in UK and Ireland. And we can't wait. We're just so excited. It's been 14 months, I think, since we've done a last show in front of people. And that's way too long. And we've got friends, Hollow Star and Empire, along for the ride, who are absolutely awesome at what they do as well. It's really looking up to be a great, great tour. When you think about where things are at in rock music and you see the surge happening in the UK right now, the surge is also happening in Europe and also here in the States, and so many other places across the globe. You know, there is this idea, or it has been said, that rock and roll is dead. There's this constant deal and situation where people are trying to redefine what rock is in bands Mm -hmm. that are not even rock and roll. When you consider where Mason Hill is at, and you consider your contemporaries that are in this journey with you, right, going forward, how excited are you for the future of rock music the future of the band and the future of, of the bands that you know. I am so excited. I'm so excited. I I mean, it may not be true for all rock, but I, the way I see a lot of rock right now, like like what's what's been more successful is this sort of mix of kind of rock, pop, and metal. It's like a weird formula that's happened that bands from the last 15 years, they kind of started it, like bands like Alterbridge and stuff, but I feel like more bands these days, like Bring Me Their Rise and The Architects, just to name a couple. I'm really, and by the way, both have just hit number one in the UK. I've kind of pushing the boundaries of where rock can go and trying to show the world that rock isn't like a niche thing and that it can go along with anything else just as powerful if it's done right so honestly right now i could see rock in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years getting right back up to like i'm like tied top with like your kind of major genres right now i feel like and as much as i love the i love classic rock it's one of my favorite genres i feel like that's we're moving on slightly and that even those bands like or we're looking at new people and I just feel like the world's kind of, it's there for the taking. And I feel like uh, rock and melody have just 
kind of grabbed on to melody so much more in the last kind of 10 years and it's really showing off where these bands can just bring out amazing songs that can just sit there on radio stations just, just after Justin Bieber and all that, you know, and they just stand there and are just amazing pieces of music to the point where you don't think it's a rock band. It's just, oh, wow, they're great, you know? The fighters are great at that. Well, it has to connect with the youth, right? I mean, that's where it's at. That's why genres like pop and hip-hop have done so well is because they're able to get into the minds and attract the attention of the teenager. And that's something over the last decade or two, rock and roll has really missed out on, is getting it, getting in front of the young kid, getting in front of those who are you know, listening to other forms of music. And I think that's changing. I think more young people are starting to get into rock music because of what's happened. Let's face it, and I've mentioned this at nauseum on this show, that when there's angst and anger their rock and roll thrives and there's nothing that creates angst and anger than a teenager sitting at home for the last year learning from home instead of being at school being with his friends not being able to hang out with his friends and if you want to like look at the psychology of a kid kid goes into the pandemic listening to pop music and listening to hip-hop but after a while and being at home every day doing the same thing I want to hear something different I want to hear something new and, you know, the power cord comes on his headphones and he's like, what, what is this? This is, this went right through my, my soul, you know? And therein lies the connection to rock music is when there's angst, it thrives. And there's nothing more that creates angst than a pandemic, right? Yeah. I mean, you have a yeah, really good point. I've never thought about it that way. And it's certainly showing, I mean, like for instance, you know, I can't, like, so maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, me and James, the lead guitar player, we went to a show in our local venue, about 400 people there, and we went to see a band that were on their debut album, and it was great, and we thought, oh, this band are brilliant. And we're like, right, it probably won't be massive stadium band, you know, um, and all that stuff. But, you know, 10 years later, it turned out they were, and it was Five Finger Death Punch. And you're like, that's metal rock that has got, extremely successful like and and they're just one of a bunch you know what I mean I don't feel like in the last kind of 15 odd years but like metal and rock and that sort of they've really struggled to get there um, with bar a few that maybe have been going from the 90s etc that have maybe but like no and you think of bands like Linkin Park etc like how big they get I feel like the world's ready it just needs to be delivered in the right way to convert people that might not say, all right, I don't, that's a good song, but I'm not a rock fan. You know, I feel like they're, they're just waiting for the right song. And the more songs we can kind of get out there on mainstream radio and stuff like that. And the more, more that can get pushed in that direction. I only see it having one effect and a hell of a lot more people come on to this sort of genre. I also think too, that when it's, when, when the music is good, Right when it, when it's quality yeah. music, people will find it eventually. Right, people will find yeah. anything that's good. It may not be the most popular, and and let's be frank, we don't want rock music to be mainstream. I mean, rock really has never really been mainstream. When you think about it, there's always been pushback mm-hmm. from the general public. There's always been controversy. There's always been oh, it's evil music, and your kids shouldn't listen to it. I, that yeah. that's that's how it always should be. Um, <laughs> And I think with the new bands that are coming up, 
the quality is there. The quality matches, right, the, the, the angst and the anger that rock and roll is. And it's always been the middle finger of every genre. And I hope it stays that way. But it, it does need to connect with the young, young people. And I think that is finally happened because of all those reasons. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the pop world has reached out to rock as well in a lot of ways. And you see rock's kind of becoming more, uh, especially in fashion, more sort of mainstream level. And that, you know, I, I know a lot of people moan about if they ever see, like, someone wearing a Metallica top and they don't know who Metallica is. But you know what? It's getting that name out more. It's more people are seeing that. You know, it's creating a good buzz where, you know, you're kind of just seeing a bit more rock music around the world. And that can only lead in one direction, right? Yeah, I guess it does help with exposure. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that, though. You know, when someone like a Miley Cyrus or someone, you know, whoever it is, releases a quote-unquote rock record, I, I, I don't know if I if I like that because, to me, rock music is always about the authenticity of it, right? Rock fans want, agree. want it real. They don't want someone who's faking it, right, till they make it. They want someone who's, mm. who's lived it and who's breathed it who's played in those dirty and sweaty clubs like you've mentioned, you know, the, the smell of the street, the yep. smell of the alley, the smell of stale urine and, 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 and whatever. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, where they get, that's where bands get their, their, their cred, their street cred, right, by playing out and playing in front of people and wearing those battle scars on their sleeves. And when someone like a Miley Cyrus comes along and is trying to figure out what to do with her career, oh, let's release a rock record. It's like, eh, no, you stay in your corner. We're, we've got it over here. We're fine. We're good. You know, I don't know. I don't know. How, I feel. how do you feel about it? I totally understand what you're saying. I totally understand. I am. Um, I guess though. I guess the counter, if I had any, I would be like, for instance, that Post Malone guy. I don't really know him, but he recently done something with Ozzy Osbourne, which again could fall into that same category of kind of stay in your fields, which I totally understand. Um, but you know what? I bet you a lot of people found out about Ozzy Osbourne, and I bet you ninety percent of them were the types of people that you've just mentioned that don't really know much about anything. But I bet you there was a few that were like, "Oh wow, this guy's rocks." Wait a minute, who? What band was he in? Wait, who is this? You know, who's Black Sabbath? And you know, just kind of moving on from there. So I'm totally agree with you. But see if I just know the like, like me, like it's like. That, see that person, that's me, all right? So I grew up a total pop guy, all right? And I was just into all the, the rubbish of the day, you know, until I finally get, kind of got shown something that I was, that I didn't even put it on myself. I know I say like Jimi Hendrix, so I got this cassette. Well, no, I was made to listen to it. And, and you know, after that, I was like, oh, wow. So I guess any sort of exposure to this kind of genre will help. Yes, you'll get a lot of people that, you know, that, that any rock Fans aren't really there, but you know, rock fans are intelligent. We know all that stuff. But see if we can get more people on board into the club, I'm all for that because the rock community is such a nice community that deserves to be recognised more. It is. It is. I mean, the fans are, you know, like family, right? I mean, you know, you're at a rock concert. Everybody's yeah. there. Everybody's feeling the synergy of the crowd. Everybody's into it. Um, I think more of that needs to be celebrated, though. I think more of that really needs to be recognized. And if, you know, young people in today's day and age are, are very into the experience. You know, they're very into mm -hmm. moments. You know, they want to document everything on their social media. They want to take selfies of where they're yeah. at. They want to, you know, say that they were there. And I think 
if more young people go see a rock and roll show, a rock concert, and feel like everyone who has seen a rock concert has come before them and feel that emotion and feel that that moment. I mean, I took my son, I think he was 14 at the time, I took him to see the Rankin Tours with Jack White and uh, up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is not too far from where we're at in Chicago. And the, the, the crowd was, it was an amazing show. It was absolutely amazing. And we walked out, and I looked at my son. I go, that's how it's done. And he's like, what do you mean? I go, that's how a band comes out on stage, grabs the crowd by the throat, and the crowd hangs on every note and every word until it's over. That's how it's done. And you can't get that experience anywhere else in music besides rock and roll. Yeah, I haven't I haven't had it anywhere else as well. Um, the, only, the only time I had a moment like that that wasn't rock is I went to see the actor Hugh Laurie do a, a very blues kind of themed like New Orleans kind of band, big band type show, and I was I was absolutely insane. But again, still rock influence, you know, kind of very old sort of blues. And yeah, you're totally right. I've been to so many, I've been to some shows that will just stick with me for life. My big one is ACDC. Um, you know, okay, I didn't get to see ACDC in the 80s, and I'm sure people will say, ah, you didn't. if you didn't see them in the 80s, you didn't see them. But I saw, I, I, yeah, I had a similar experience. I just walked out after that. I was like, whoa, that was amazing. It's not often you see a half-naked guy playing a guitar 60 foot up uh, <laughs> a crane in front of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, "Wow!" So yeah, yeah, you got a point. Yeah, I just you know, I, I think rock and roll is healthy again in terms of the music that's coming out. I think there's a lot of questions as to what the live experience will be once people start going back to doing normal things again. Um, you know, what capacity levels are going to be like? You know, are people going to be comfortable coming back? to you know the live show and the live concert so that's still yet to be determined i think people will eventually but i do think you know people have been developing habits over the last year they've been staying at home they've been enjoying themselves you know watching tv streaming stuff listening to music are people want to get are people going to want to go out and see a live show again that that's the big question and you know, with, with rock and roll needing that to survive, we've gotten through the challenge of the music coming back. Now the challenge is getting the people back. I think the majority of people will, but how much, when, and and where is still the big question. That's a good point. I actually think, I mean, I'll, I would love to see stats after, a, you know, a year of like shows being back in because I love all that stuff, but my current thought is that the rock industries and like the, the metal industries, I think we, I think every every area will suffer a wee bit. There will be people that just are like, no, I'm not putting myself in a room with 300 to 2,000 people right now, and I get that. Um, but I feel like, as we mentioned earlier, the rock kind of in these sort of communities are so strong that they have a kind of family personal feel like honestly our shows the amount of people that come up and they just all start blathering away to each other and I'm like wait you don't know each other and I'm like ah yeah why? That's, that's him obviously and, and you're like oh wow I honestly think, think our guys will just be right back there I think we love shows the most I think if you know if you had to rate every genre on how much their fans love their shows, 
I feel like we are right up there. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like a lot of other genres might struggle because it's it's not the same. You know, you go to a proper pop show, it's not the same as a rock show. As I say, you know, it's a more home feel there. So pe- people that haven't had that will be missing that. Yeah, I do. I do think there's that, you know, element, you know, that void that's been in people's lives, which has been enjoying music live. And I think, you know, rock bands crave it. Rock bands need it. You know, it's something that is, we consider very special. Um, and part of the experience with, you know, being a rock music fan. Yeah, it's, it's pivotal. It's pivotal. I mean, the men of like, I'm on that social media, not a lot these days, but anytime I am, that's all I see is, oh my God, this has been rescheduled. I can't deal. I can't face it. Wait, my next show is next month. I can't wait. You know, like people are like, they're counting down. They're just ready to go. And if it's, you know, if the pubs in Britain are anywhere to go by, they are going to be skewed at the end of the month when they open. The same as the shops have been this month as they get reopened. I think people are. I think people are overall sick of it, especially in Britain. Not sure what it's like in the states, but the mentality over here is we are kind of sick of this. We hope everyone's okay, but the numbers are looking really good, and I think we just want to open back. I can't speak for everyone, but I think that's the. I mean, ticket sales have showed that people are ready. That was going to be a good indi- indication of when we released the show without without the government definitely saying we could do it. We wanted to see what ticket sales would be like, and people are ready. They're just buying as always. They're ready. What's next for you guys? I know you've got a few months before that tour starts. The album just came out in March. What are you guys doing to prepare? What are you guys doing to stay in front of your audience? Yeah, well, we're getting back into studio as of next month. So what we're going to do is be releasing a lot more kind of content from there, just kind of having fun. Watch us how we kind of get all the cobwebs off since we've not seen each other in about a year, all five of us in the same room. Um, we, As I say, we're writing new music. We're thinking about bringing new music out um, a lot sooner before the next album campaign, just to kind of keep on this momentum that seems to be kind of happening around and you know the tour is going to happen in September October so we might think to finish the year off with some new music out there looking into 2022 which is going to be an insane amount of touring it's looking like we're we're hitting UK we're hitting Europe where we're may, we even maybe trying to hit the states at some point as well since since the states have been opening up to us and kind of quite reactive to the stuff which has been an insane and that's an insane sentence to to just say out loud um, and yeah we're just going to kind of go for it we're we're about to quit our jobs it's it's now or never this is it you know it's that sort of time it's crunch time for us so we're just going to be everywhere. The album is Against the Wall. The band is Mason Hill. The guest is Scott Taylor. Thank you very much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. It is actually my pleasure. Uh, It's very humbling to be here, so thank you for having me. Anytime, man. Anytime. And for those listening, go buy the album Against the Wall. You can visit their website at masonhillofficial.com. You can get it on all the streaming platforms. But let's face it, folks. Go buy the album. Buying the album, having the physical copy is a much better experience than just point, click, and download. So go out and support the band. Buy some merch on their site. Again, masonhillofficial.com. You can subscribe to us wherever you're listening to your podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow. Write us a review if you'd like. 
Once again, I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Stay strong, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.